You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hello, Josiah. Hello, Ethan. How you doing? I'm well. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah, no, I mean, that's... that's All there is to it? I really struggle with how to answer that question sometimes. Oh, yeah, I just fake it every time. <laughs> doing great. <laughs> doing great. Happy happy as a jaybird. Happy as a jaybird. That's not the phrase. Ethan has never been that happy in his life. Never in my that's life. That's the secret. Nope. Down, it's a desperate um, plea for help. It's not my... No, you know, it's just not my... Uh, <laughs> it's not the way the Lord made me. You know, I was made, I was made for the melancholy emotions. I'm proud of it. Don't. Don't touch those emotions. They're mine. <laughs> They're mine. That's the way I like it. Mine, mine. Like those uh, <laughs> so birds and Finding that. Nemo. Everyone, you thinking yep. about those? That's what everyone's thinking. I I think about them too as, often. As Andrew WK would put it, gifted in the lower emotions. <laughs> I'm like, that's right. That's what preach it. That's I'm going to retweet, reblog. I'm going to signal boost that. I am gifted in the lower emotions. I like it. I appreciate it. You know? That is, that's quite a phrase. We can't all be the hands. <laughs> you know? Can't all be the hands of Christ. There are other parts of the body of Christ. And some of them have to house the lower emotions. You know? I take that station with <clears throat> gratitude. Even though gratitude is probably a higher emotion, I have to work at it. You know what I mean? <laughs> this, is, this is a strange flurry of faith. <laughs> We're talking about the first commandment. Whoa! It has nothing to do with this preamble. No! Unlike the preamble before the commandments, which has a lot to do with the commandments, <laughs> our preambles have nothing to do uh, with anything. Yes, we're on the first of the Ten Commandments today. Yeah. And, you know, the first commandment is pretty straightforward. Yeah. As far as it goes. Okay. Uh, if you remember from our last episode or you have read them recently or you mm-hmm. have to memorize, mm-hmm. etc., you know the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. I mean, you can't really get much simpler than that. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for listening. We truly <laughs> pray, uh, we appreciate your time and your faithfulness and we'll talk at you next week. See you then. Oh, did we want to say something else? Was there... An- are you telling me there's more to this? <laughs> yes. Oh, well, okay, you know what? I'll uh, I'll indulge you. You know, that's the crazy thing about simple things, right? <laughs> what if they're no. not? <laughs> no, you know, I've got a great illustration of this. Okay, okay. Maybe it's not a great illustration. It just came to my mind. So I'm in a writing class. Um, yes. that my wife gave to me for Christmas. I've been mm. telling everyone about this writing class I'm in, which feels a little, you know, it feels it feels self-aggrandizing. I don't know if it is. I don't know. Point being, Morgan, my lovely wife, mm-hmm. bought me this writing class mm-hmm. with one of my favorite authors. Ooh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's very involved. He gives you personal feedback on your writing, so it's not just like a one of those master classes you see those advertised. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. Um, I which I'm sure those are decent, but I doubt you're going to actually... Yeah. I doubt Hans Zimmer is going to review your film score and actually give you notes. If I'm going to get a one-on-one with Paul Schrader, you know, I'll be a filmmaker for a day if I get to be <laughs> having a conversation with Paul Schrader. <laughs> so I'm in this writing class and our first essay assignment was to take a small physical object and write a 500-word essay on it. Like you could take your, your Five, coffee mug. 500 is not a lot of words. It's not, but when he says write an essay on it, he wants you to write an essay on all the physical characteristics of it. A descriptive writing. Yes, but you have to write it in a way that it's not just like, oh, Oh, my coffee mug is cylindrical. It's, it's and not a factual list. Yeah, it's... Um, hmm. it, it's a biography? It's, it's almost poetic. Oh, um, yeah, that makes sense. And so I picked a plastic spoon. A plastic spoon, which is about the simplest thing that I, I had on hand. I was like, a plastic spoon. Like, you know, there's nothing magical about a plastic spoon. It sounds spoon. like you voluntarily set 
up a challenge for yourself. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> You're like, well, how am I going to make this a masterclass? Let's make it hard. <laughs> but I had to write, you know, I'm thinking this plastic spoon, so simple. What can you say about that? But somehow, 500 words came out about the plastic spoon. Did you have to edit it down? Uh, yes, I did. I, I did. Act- As a matter of yes. fact. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, have you ever thought about the loveliness of the right angles? Top of a handle of a plastic spoon. And never once have I ever or, thought about it as lovely. You know, like, it's so symmetrical, but then it explodes out of this egg shape and such you, things. Did you write about uh, how, how it pollutes our planet? Uh, you know, I didn't get to that because oh, it was... Oh, I see. I see where your priorities lie. <laughs> encouraging the use. Sorry. I did say sorry, we throw them away. Of like that was. <laughs> 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 so you had a little so, nod to so, that. Yes. Okay. All that was an, an example to say simple things can be... They can be trickier quite, than yes. you might first think. Exactly. You could say a lot more about simple things than perhaps sometimes you could say about complicated things. In fact, I actually almost always find that true. Like when you're trying to write about a really complicated topic, I feel like it's hard to say a lot about it sometimes. Hmm. You know, it just depends like on how abstract and ethereal it is, I guess. But that's neither here nor there. That's another podcast episode. There's a quote, by the way, that kind of relates to to the minimal of life. And it's by Jules Verne. And frankly, I don't even know who that is. Do you know who that is? I do, but I can't tell you who it is off the top of my head. Like, I know Jules Verne. I'm not even going to pretend. But I do know something you said was that a a well-used minimum suffices for everything. Mm. And that is something that is just, I I almost feel that on a spiritual level. Mm. I I love that sentiment, but I think it also kind of points to the fact that it's it's an art. Yeah. It is not something that, that comes simply sometimes. Yeah. So all that to say is we have this, what appears to be very straightforward and simple command. And now as a background to this, because it sounds kind of weird. I feel like you should have no other gods before me. Like, is God saying there are other real gods that are and also, true? I guess and if you took it at that face value, it's it's not saying don't. It's not saying don't have other gods. Technically, if, right? If, if you're not looking into this and you're like, if you're trying, I don't know, if you're trying to be a jerk. Yeah. But no, you can it, take it that way. And there were commentators who have, yeah. you know, were or like really not even to be antagonistic. If you simply didn't have a ton of context. Yes. So all this to say, the background when you consider this, especially in light of the nation and cultures which surrounded Israel at the time. Exactly. Right? They're getting ready to head into the promised land, which was Canaan. They were surrounded by polytheistic kingdoms, which is, you know, the fancy highbrow way to say uh, these kingdoms worshipped multiple gods, yeah. plural, little g gods. You had pantheons of gods. I mean, you had a god for just about everything you could imagine. You know, you're frustrated that your wife isn't bearing children. You, you need to go pray to the fertility god. You're disappointed in your crop this year. Well, you better you better go make a sacrifice to the, the harvest god. You weren't. <laughs> Apparently paying your dues. Um, <laughs> one of the most famous pantheons from the days of ancient Israel was uh, Egypt, actually. They had oh. a pantheon of well-known <laughs> gods. They ever. Funny enough, well, it's not going to be funny to some people. <laughs> um, it's really not. But to me, anyway, uh, I, I used to study Egyptology as a kid. Like, oh, like, an, yeah. like an actual mm-hmm. kid before we had a home computer and used that MSN TV nonsense. MSN TV! Forgot about oh, that! Dumbest stuff Whoa. ever. So you can't, you can't underrate it because it's worse. <laughs> Um, really genuinely fascinating stuff though. Like it, I think, but for me though, who that'd be exhausting. Like, yeah. uh, like, Hey, where's the God of, uh, air conditioning? Take his exercise. <laughs> Cause it's a hot everything. It's always hot in Egypt. Except at night, apparently the desert's very cold. But... Uh, and then you're like, Ra, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. I'd just be making sacrifices against Ra. Uh, so yeah, that's that's funny. I would and not be popular in Egypt, I'm starting to realize. <laughs> 
Oh, shoot. Well, so you had that, of course. And in Canaan in particular, which was the land the Israelites were on their way to possess after they had exited Egypt and had, you know, seen all of this polytheistic worship, the people of God were particularly tripped up by a false Canaanite god named Baal. So, I mean, this command becomes very pertinent. This became a recurring issue. So, is there there a Canaanite pantheon? Yes. Okay. Um, Now, I'm, I'm stretching my memory here a little bit, but I believe it was like Baal was the male deity of like harvest. Oh, so he's and not then, even the Zeus or the Ra character. No. That's um, wild. Rain and harvest, I think, was what he was. Storm, maybe. So it was um, just a livelihood thing. Yeah. And then you had the, I think the Astaroth were the female deities, I think. I'm really stretching my memory on oh, this. That's um, interesting. But the other thing that <laughs> about the Baal cult that really got the Israelites was there was some... Oh, I know exactly where this There was some choice, and I use that word very loosely. There were some choice worship rituals involved with Baal. Extracurricular activities. Yes, extracurricular activities that involved. (laughs) They were they were orgies. Yes, that's that's, I mean that's basically it. Like, so something tells me that these rituals were somewhat self interested. That just a bit. Just uh, somebody somebody sat down and said, "How can I like? How can I just make up the rules in a way that I want to?" That's surely how this happened. Yes. So this command becomes very pertinent, though. I mean, with Baal, you read about him all over the prophetic literature in the Old Testament, especially. Yeah. I think his name is mentioned 57 times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I mean, he he is troublesome. Yeah. So obviously, this is a problem. And all that to say, this may be a simple command, but that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination, it's an easy one to obey. Of course. In fact, I'd say it's just as impossible to obey today as it was some 6,000 years ago when it Mm. was first given. Mm. That's the trick of the whole thing. Israel obviously broke this command over and over and over again. In really glorious ways. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they broke it the way children break glow sticks, except in this case, (laughs) the glow stick fluid leaked and they decided, wouldn't it be fun to drink this? Oh, yeah. 100% would recommend that. That's a great Mm, idea. You'll be seeing things, but it won't be God. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Whoa, bro, tripping out over here. I'll be a paramedic. Yeah. <laughs> so, the trick with this is, in order to have no other gods before God, a few things have to happen mm. first. Uh, the first thing, of course, is you have to realize, oh, shoot, I do tend to have other gods. <laughs> And none of them are the one triune God who, of course, demands that we worship him alone. So that's a problem. In fact, here's the really, really tricky thing about this, I think, in America and and probably the civilized West in general, is that... We have a pantheon of gods, but our gods aren't gold idols sitting in stone temples or anything like so easily identifiable. Right. We have gods who have become abstractions. So in many ways, they're even harder to recognize and nearly impossible to see. You know, we serve gods of comfort, wealth, power, and so on. And I mean, you can't offer up uh, an animal in their temple and know, oh yeah, I'm worshiping a false god. You know, it's not that... It's not quite that simple. As um, our friend John Mark McMillan would say, uh, Nerd, apparent flesh. (laughs) Offer it up (laughs) to the gods of American success. You know, this episode sponsored by John Mark McMillan. (laughs) Maybe not when he listens to us. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, what in the world? Those are two weird guys. I met in North Carolina at a coffee shop. (laughs) Did I get a restraining order? (laughs) (laughs) So that's the first thing is you have to recognize, oh yeah, I have other gods that are competing for my heart and there's one true God who's saying I can't keep offering myself to them, which means that you have to stop worshiping those gods, which... Did not see that coming. Woo! 
Whoa. Yikes. Which then further means not only do you have to stop worshiping those gods, but you have to give your heart, soul, mind, and strength completely to the one true God as he has revealed himself in scripture, in the Holy Bible. Because any other version of God is just another little g false god in our own making that we put before the one true god. It's not the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, wolf doggy. I'm going to stop you there. Mm. I'm just going to make a note. You made that last point sound real simple, real straightforward. <laughs> but if you put a gun to my head right now and ask me to explain it, I hope we're playing Russian roulette. <laughs> Because all I got is like 26 years and some real iffy success rates. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, because now you get into questions too of like, okay, well, how, how you know you're doing yeah. that and what's going on with that? That's when it does feel ethereal and like, okay. Yeah, because once again, Jesus even said in John 4, well, the, the woman at the well asked him, you know, you Jews say we need to worship in Jerusalem, but we say, Samaritans say we need to worship on Mount Gerizim. So what do you say? He's like, Hold I up. tell you, <laughs> the hour has now come when you will not worship God either on that mountain or this mountain, but mm-hmm. you will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Oof. So now again, woof, yeah. Like there, it's not an instruction manual. Right. And I don't think it's as abstract as we first take it, but it definitely like looks that way. And be, when you, yeah. you know, if you stop at the first command or just that verse in John 4, you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty, again, ethereal. It's kind of like, what, what are we supposed to do? So I think we have to have an understanding that first of all, as we talked about in the introduction to the Ten Commandments, this happens first by the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he has to come in and take our concrete hearts and put a throbbing, thumping heart in that place. He is the one who enables us first to love, cherish, and worship God. He is the one who gives us the power to keep the first command. So that's the first thing we have to understand is we can't keep the first command on our own. We're as hopeless as the Israelites were in the face of Baal worship. We just, Mm. you know, our hearts are going to be pulled whichever which way. Now, that being said, the first commandment really is all about worship. Every single man, woman, and child was created to worship the living God. And if you go back to the, the Westminster Confession, which is one of the key confessional documents of the Christian faith, it says that the chief end or the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So once again, we continue to see this, but we, we still haven't really gotten to the question of how, yeah, right? Like that's, that's okay. We understand what we're supposed to be doing. We understand what the first commandment is to at least some degree. So how do we do that? I mean, how do we keep this command to have no other gods before the one true God? I mean, to come back again to a discussion we had um, in the first episode, you're talking about coveting. Yeah. Uh, it's not the first commandment. So I'm, I'm mixing myself up here a little bit. It's probably unhelpful, but how do you know? Like how, like, oof, that starts getting a little fuzzy, right? Like, how do I know that I've, yeah. yeah, Exactly. So ironically enough, we actually just did an episode on secret worship, what we called it, that gets at this a little bit as far as like the habits go and the ways that you can prime your heart uh, to get in the habit mm -hmm, of worshiping. But in the meantime, uh, with what, what time we, we have left, I think here's an oversimplified answer. When we worship, what we're doing is we're showing the worth or value of something by giving our heart to it. All right. So here on the philosophical level, we worship what we love and we grow to love more that which we worship. And you may have heard that recently. If you yes. were in our Lost Creek campuses, we use that in our video about the worship night. Because yes. um, I, I, th- I find it a succinct kind of a definition yeah. for what worship is. So that is to say how we go about, you know, loving God. God, how we worship him is pretty manifold in the scriptures. And that's the point where you can start getting actually a little more practical with it. For instance, the Psalms say, 
one of the ways we worship God is by singing his praises, which is interesting to me because now I want to actually want to break this all down a little bit and talk about a couple of different ways that we practically worship God. Singing, right? Mm-hmm. Psalm 66, 4 in particular says, you know, we worship God and sing his praises. Maybe paraphrasing that a little bit, but you see that sentiment echoed all throughout the Psalms, throughout almost all the scriptures, really. I mean, you have Paul saying it in Ephesians and Colossians, you know, sing, make melody in your heart to the Lord. Mm-hmm. That is an expectation of God's people when it comes to worship. It's one of the ways we give our heart to him, which is funny to me because I sometimes hear people say things and they're well-meaning and I understand where they're coming from. I don't I don't think it's quite right. But you hear people sometimes say like, well, I worship God in other ways. You know, when I'm at like, you know, in the church service, for instance, like, you know, like, um, like I just, I don't sing. And it's like, you know, I don't think I sing particularly well, for instance, you know, it's not one of my gifts, but that's one of the ways that we give our hearts to God. It would be kind of like saying, oh, I I get baptized in other ways. (laughs) Yeah. I do it differently. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it is. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I'll get baptized, but, you know, do it in a different way. Uh, this is one of the expectations of yeah. uh, the scriptures. And it, I mean, you think about the power of song in the life of the heart. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's amazing the thing a song can do to stir up the affections, to root truth in your heart. In fact, just as an example of this outside of the scripture, I cannot remember for the life of me which lawmaker it was, but one of the, I think it was the early colonial American lawmakers, said something once the effect of, and I'm going to paraphrase it and change it a little bit. You can Google this and find it out later. But he said something to the effect of, you know, I don't care if you let me write every single law in the land. If I can write one song that gets at the heart of the people, I will have won them all over. Oh, wow. And that's so true. Uh, You think, what moves you more, reading a bill in Congress or hearing a song about the plight of people in need who need our help? Mm -hmm. Or you think about moments like when you're in a, like, you've been at a concert. Been to. Like, oh my gosh. You remember when um, John Mark McMillan came out to the middle of the the floor of Clarksburg Baptist Church and sang How He Loves there, and we were all singing that together. I I unironically still have a picture of that on Instagram. Yes, that was so powerful. Like, I have not forgotten that moment. And God incorporated that into the worship of his people. He's like, this is part of your worship. This is one of the ways you give your heart to me, mm-hmm. is by singing about my works and singing about my worth and instructing one another in that. Like, that's, that's an instructive experience for the other people around you. It's not meant just to be a, I sing to God and he hears me and that's fun, <laughs> but it's like, you're doing that for the benefit of others. Yeah. So, that's one of the ways we worship and it's one of the, I think, perhaps more obvious and key ways. But one of the other ways the scriptures talk about uh, worship is we do it by making sacrifices of our time and our finances. That, um, one, that is that requires reminding for me to like, yeah. to understand that mm-hmm. in a worshipful sense. That's weird. To, it's like, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, what you're doing when you say like, ah, oh, I'd you know, in this particular instance, like I'd rather have these two hours to go do something rather than serve in this ministry capacity, or you know, go help this person out who's in need, or I'd rather hold on to these 50 bucks than, you know, give to the offering or help out the Cambodian orphans, whatever the case may be. What you're doing in that moment is, first of all, you're you're denying yourself on one level and you're saying... God is worth more than that. It's it's weird because even in acknowledging, in one sense, I'd rather do the other thing. What you're saying is, 
I actually do, I really believe that God is worth more than that, that mm-hmm. his, his glory and his beauty and his majesty and giving my heart to him will be better for me than if I merely indulge myself. And, and that's what's moving you to action. Yes, exactly. And so that's one of the key ways that we worship him. That's one of the key ways we give our hearts to him is not just when it's, you know, convenient and easy, but precisely when he's like, no, this will, uh, to perhaps over-exaggerate it a little bit, but maybe not so much, you know, you have to carry a cross from time to time, you know, mm-hmm. actually what Jesus says, you got to pick up your cross daily. So, at, at some level, okay, a life, an example of this from Israel's history was King David, when he took the sinful census and God judged him and judged the people for that, he was going to go and offer a sacrifice an offering to God as, you know, say like, I'm, you know, I repent, you know, forgive us, heal our land, etc. And the angel of the Lord appeared at this particular threshing floor that belonged to a citizen. And the citizen was like, King David, you can have this. You can have everything. Like you can offer up this to God. And David said, I will not make offerings that cost me nothing. Well, yeah, yeah. And there's something to that that indicates our, I'm, I'm willing to give something that costs me. Yeah. And that shows the worth of God. Like, oh, you're willing to pay that price because you love God? Like, and he loves you? Oh, okay. Like, that's something that people, not only can people, I think, see that, but it does something to your heart in the process. So, you have that. And then one of the final ways that we do this is by making disciples. Is what Jesus said in Matthew 28, going to all the world preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which falls under the category of obeying what Jesus has asked us to do. And that's really the heart of worship. When you look at Old Testament Israel, their primary system of worship was sacrifice literally, of animals, right? They offered sacrifices of praise and song and finances and time as well, but a lot of their religious worship revolved around the rites of the temple and animal sacrifice and the shedding of blood. And that was all out of obedience to God, by the way. I mean, he said, do these things. Right. But now Jesus Christ has come as the once and for all sacrifice, the giving of our hearts to him in worship. When it all is said and done, really comes down to obedience to everything he's revealed to us in his word. Like, that is worship. It is singing, yes. But it's also doing everything you do, whether you eat or drink, to the glory of God. It is visiting widows and orphans in their affliction. It is giving of your time and money. It is preaching the gospel and sharing it with others and giving to those who are in need. It is enduring abuse and slander with a gentle spirit. All these things, all of this in its own way is worship. So, it's not just limited to Sunday morning. It's every day of the week. It's every moment of life. As the Protestant reformers were fond of saying, all of life is worship. They didn't say it exactly like that, but you know, more (laughs) or less, which is not, again, to negate the importance of the corporate gathering Mm. and that aspect of worship. That's where all of this kind of centers because that's where the word of God is preached, where it's sung. So we come together in that moment to worship and then we're sent out yeah, it's not, again to worship. It's not just held within those walls. Yes, exactly. See, the first command may look simple, but there's so much to it. <laughs> Somehow it does not and, surprise me. Yeah, I could have done like a 27 times better job explaining it, but you know, this is a 20 to 25 minute uh, podcast <laughs> yeah. and you got to do what you can sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there we go. First commandment, nine more to go. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so if you have any questions about this, mm-hmm. If you uh, disagree with me in hearty fashion, uh-huh. etc., we'll make a podcast. Out yeah, of that's it. <laughs> uh, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net yep. or you can interact with us on social media. Mm-hmm. And if you are helped by our content and uh, you enjoy it, 
you want to go on iTunes and leave us an honest five-star review, we sure would appreciate it. I don't understand how it works, and I don't understand how it helps, but he does. <laughs> it does. So we just really appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Yeah, the iTunes yeah. overlords will... Uh, It'll, it'll be good. It'll smile upon us. Smile upon us, indeed. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, I hope someone is. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm.